<clears throat> Kamala let everyone know that I'd be talking tonight. I was thinking, oh good, maybe most people won't come. <laughs> this must be the only show in town. It's interesting, just um, and before coming in here, you know, spotting a few people walking and sitting, and just feeling the practice uh, as it gains momentum. It's just you know, something so special. So it's really quite rare to see a human being um, living with that quality of mind and heart. And, you know, sometimes we don't even realize ourselves just how much or how far we've come. And it's like going on a walk or a hike and you're on a trail that goes uphill. I'm always surprised that after, you know, five minutes or ten minutes of just steady walking, if you turn back and look, you really can go quite a far distance in a few minutes. And... um, you know, so the mind, day after day, when we practice like this, it's different than when we first arrive. So if you're not um, able to sense it yourself, you know, from the outside, it's, it's quite apparent and it looks nice. <laughs> That's the goal, to look nice. (laughs) And the kind of individual uh, chats, and even this morning when we did the Q&A after the sitting, the the idea of right view and the power of right view has been um, talked a lot about by different people. When we have the view that thoughts are natural, that the mind gets cloudy, and whatever is coming up is is nature. Um, We're slowly learning how to apply this in our practice, and we really see the difference that makes. There was. I did have this one thing that someone had just written me, and I was um, just going to share. It was a haiku, and I hope it's okay. It's not a very personal haiku, so it should be okay. Um, And it was just mentioning, uh, you know, for this for this person, there was some uh, knot in the body in the chest, and. and this reflection that, you know, if it is, you know, the way we mentioned the hall, uh, at some point we said, you know, I think this is from Saitamutajaniya, that to think of the heart, that its job is to pump blood, and that the, if the mind or the brain's job is to think, we can really take these as nature. And so this person was mentioning that, and then out of that came this reflection about this uh, sensation in the body. And they wrote... A tight chest, oh, still there? 
Good job, chest. Carry on then. Carry on. It's It's so wonderful, the sense of not needing to struggle with... Um, you know, with what's coming up, that the power of views to condition our practice, to condition our moment-to-moment experience. You know, it's like that's really what's running the show. And Sidal often would tell me, you may think it's you that's practicing, but actually if you keep watching, you'll see it's your views that are practicing It's your ideas in the mind. It's the habits that we've developed. We begin to see it's the awareness that simply knows. It's not necessarily even my awareness. So that's why when we have dropped in reminders to sometimes allow the awareness to find you in a way we can really see the impersonal nature of even the wholesome habits. We oftentimes apply right view to the things that we, you know, maybe are struggling with to help balance the mind and just say, oh yeah, this is nature, this is a phenomenon. And yet that applies to everything that arises in the mind. You know, if we look, what is practicing in any given moment? It's some ideas that we have, how we're relating to the current experience. Am I relating to what's arising as something to be known and recognized or uh, that it's a distraction, something to get rid of? In the the Four Noble Truths, um, we've mentioned a little bit, but the first Noble Truth is there's suffering. The second is that it has a cause. It's clinging and craving. And the third is that there's an ending to suffering a possibility for the cessation of suffering. And in the fourth noble truth is, is the path. That's where the path is explained. And in that noble eightfold path, there's eight, eight uh, kind of factors or steps. And the very first one is right view. You know, I like to really reflect on that right view is so often put uh, as a primary position because it's like the way we look at our own experience. How are we viewing any given moment? And then something that, again, Utejaniya would often tell me is, you know, what you'd ask, what's the difference between someone who's in a moment meditating and someone who's not? You know, and basically, both, both minds, both bodies are having experiences And yet the meditator is using those experiences to develop awareness, to develop some stability of mind, and over time to grow wisdom, grow insights. And it's not by getting rid of the experiences, it's actually by being with the experiences that are showing up. And being with the simplicity of the breath, being with the body the way it is, being with the emotional realm, the thoughts. So just inclining our mind to 
recognize our experience. You know, in my early years of practice, I could really, in looking back now, I really, I was relating to experience, to practice as an effort to achieve the experience, get the experience, get the result, you know, get rid of the unpleasant. And those are, that's basically the activity of the defilements working, the sense of desire, not willing to be with the unpleasant, wanting to change things. So increasingly our practice really is turning towards allowing our current experience to just be revealed, to be a prompt for mindfulness, be a prompt to allow us to understand something. And so when my practice initially was very narrow and constrained, I allowed only one, maybe one channel of my experience to be considered practice. It was very, it was very restricted. You know, maybe only my body sensations. And now I'm really practicing. I'm right with those. And then slowly and gradually, the understanding that, oh, right, everything is unfolding due to its own conditions, due to its own causes. And that every, every aspect of our experience can be something that we turn to, that we open to, and become aware of. Someone was encouraging me today to, to um, try and tell some personal stories, which is a little bit of an edge for me, kind of trying to dig into my mind and memories for personal stories. Um, it was in just in relation to this um, idea of having right, the right view or the views that condition how we practice. There was a, a hermit... Um, He'd been, he had been a monk maybe for 20 years, American, I think from Texas, practicing uh, kind of on his own. And he had, he, had, he had ordained in Burma and been there for, I think, about 20 years when I met him. And he had sort of splintered off, I think, a little bit from the Sangha. So he wasn't a strict Buddhist monk, but he was living a, as a hermit and wearing robes. Um, and he somehow heard about Utejaniya and came to practice with him. And then at one point he was describing his practice as, um, you say, you know, he'd sit down and he'd pull out his little uh, blindfolds and he'd put on his blindfolds. And then he'd take these big, um, those earmuffs that you wear when you're working for soundproofing and he'd put these earmuffs on. And he had them and he put them on and was showing side all. And it was really remarkable to see a monk kind of, you know, closing out the sense doors. And it was really interesting to sort of see the views in his practice begin to shift and change from having an idea that if I just exclude and get, get my mind to a really calm place, and then I'll then when when I get and achieve that, then I'll somehow break into 
maybe nibbana, or I'm not sure what the idea would be. Um, but you can really see when, when the view is no longer uh, of that direction, you know, just the, it becomes kind of very clear, you know, right, of course, we're, we're actually trying to be with our experience the way it is, and yet because the practice slowly was avoiding unpleasant experiences and seeking the calm, how that view is conditioning his practice. I'm so happy to say, you know, after some weeks and months of him being there, he just really, he had a really wonderful shift in understanding how to use his mind and and to practice well. And he took us up to where he was, um, had been a, a hermit and a monk, and he had been living in a forest in central Burma in a, um, there had, it was a really one of these, like a banyan trees, sort of like a rubber tree, so that it can, they get really big. And this particular tree had hollowed out in the middle. And for, I think, a number of years, he had lived there, and he had put a screen door on the front of this, this tree. And he had uh, given up on living there and had built himself a kuti somewhere uh, a bit away from that area in the forest. And when Sidon and I were visiting with him, I was a monk at the time, and I was you know, really on fire with practice. And I just I saw that tree, and I said, that's where I want to practice. <laughs> <laughs> and so I moved into the tree <laughs> for a little while. And um, <clears throat> actually, Sidon saw how happy I was there. And he said he was looking for a lock to somehow create a lock because he saw that I could just very contentedly hang out in that, that setting. And anyways, I'm bringing up that tree because um, I was sitting there one day and it was after some rains and there was uh, in the roots just outside of the door to that tree. It was just a simple screen door. And it's maybe about five or eight feet away, there are these little water holes in the roots, uh, or like a little pocket of water. And when I was inside practicing, and I had, you know, after I'd get settled for a little while, the birds would start to kind of come back to, you know, to visit this, this water. And it was interesting, because I was just in there for long periods, I began to see patterns. And that initially it was those things that are more obvious, you know, the the birds that tend to just show right up. You can walk into a forest and within a few seconds those birds kind of arrive again. They're really uh, got a lot of energy and, and not too much fear. And they would show up first. You know, do their thing. And it was almost like, you know, the other birds, I don't know where they would be, but they'd almost be waiting and hanging out. And then it's like the next round of, of birds would slowly start to arrive, the ones that were a little bit slower or more, more, more cautious, a little bit bigger, usually. And there was a clear progression. Each time I would go in there, and it was really beautiful to see this. And after, you know, when I would be in there for maybe an hour or two hours, just inside and looking out the screen, and they couldn't see me, these birds... You know, birds that I would never, ever see in the forest. And I'd only saw in that situation because of the conditions of having been in there and just watching. 
You know, so he's very slow, really cautious. Larger birds would, you know, I would start to see them or hear them coming closer and just kind of moving in. And then they would, you know, come to the water hole and drink and splash. And obviously, you know, the metaphor for our practice that um, there's so much that shows up in, in our minds when and when we take the time to, to allow our hearts to unfold, to just wait and not be in a hurry. Kama and I were talking about, it almost goes unnoticed, but the power of being in a setting where there isn't a schedule, um, that we're so used to being just doing, that even when we're trying to do our, our practice, it's so easy to still bring that quality of mind into the practice. I've got to do the next thing. And, you know, in this environment where we're really giving you some space to just sit with the uncertainty of what to do next. And what do I do when there's an open window? And whose responsibility is it to become mindful again? And who's going to support us in doing that? And so clearly we learn the strength that that's something that we really can figure out how we, you know, where we lose it. Naturally, we understand, oh, that's, that's also the mind, it loses mindfulness. And then how do we, how do we, how do we bring it back or what helps to prompt the mind? And increasingly as I just sit with the retreats and see my own orientation to practice. I can feel, you know, that my, one of my real interests is to really kind of give that sense of confidence that we can do this. We can do this in our life. And that you know, it really is a choice, it's up to us. And to learn the skills that allow us or that we have confidence in. Um, you know, when we do go home and we recognize the habits of mind come back, but we know how to work with that. You know, we, we understand, yeah, these are also habits. And that my practice maybe isn't as dependent on getting the calm or getting the structure around me that I thought I needed. And as soon as I check in again and ask, you know, what am I feeling? Do I know what I'm, do I know what I'm feeling right now? Can I trust that that's enough to recognize something?
Is it okay to recognize that an experience that we're not enjoying is still perhaps good awareness? I think when our mind really inclines to opening to our life in that way, that it's less and less dependent on getting something that we need or um, the next moment once I have the calm or these sounds stop or I can close my eyes to practice. You know, once we don't need that, you know, it's helpful, but once we don't need it, to support another moment of awareness, then wherever we are, you know, we're driving and we can feel the rushing, can feel our hands on the wheels. You know, just right now sitting and just being here, being present, and just listening, noticing, just noticing this moment. So I think I've been practicing now for almost 15 years. And one of the things that um, when Dejania is closing retreats, you know, he tells people, you know, very rarely do yogis really practice all the time. Maybe when they come on retreat, you know, for a week or nine days, and you can start to really get the feel of that energy building. What is it like to practice with awareness in our life for a month, for two months, and for six months? Not that we need to maintain it the whole time, but when we really start to open to the possibility of living with the awareness, he says, it's just the results, you know, you'd never turn back when you really start to really get the value of living with these qualities. And it's, you know, in 15 years, you know, not that my mind doesn't generate the kind of silliest of defilements still. Um, it still does. <laughs> but you know, it's like, it's just so much clearer the Dhamma is so much clearer. Sees the habits that are the unwholesome, you know, state of mind that clearly is triggering some some sense of stress or struggle in this moment. You know, it's like a just a bell. It's I know it. You know, it's, it's very lawful. And the tendency to finger point at mom or dad, best friend, partner, boss, 
the job, the conditions, you know, pointing fingers. It's so easy to feel like, you know, the cause of our struggle in any moment is something that's happening. And, you know, this is what the practice is to when we stay with our experience long enough and we start to first allow ourselves to feel the dukkha, to feel the discomfort of a moment. We start to understand something about it. We see the unwholesome mind state that gives rise to it. Oh, it's just this. Right? When the mind is aversive to what's arising, there's stress. And when it's clinging to what's impermanent and what's changing, that won't bring lasting happiness. And there'll be a sense of needing when it goes. And yet our you know, default setting in a way is to not really... Um, it's just so easy to want to get out of the unpleasant, to get out of a moment of struggle. And the whole practice is one of just inclining towards interest. What is happening? What is this? Can I open to this? I'm wondering if there's time for my for me to pour water. <laughs> is anyone in a rush? <laughs> not have done this on my first talk because half of the water would have been out of the glass by the time it reached my mouth. (laughs) It was so much shaking. (laughs) I was just remembering an article I read um, a couple days ago. As teachers, we still can read news, which I hope you haven't read this article. So if your eyes go, I know that article. And it was talking about a puzzle that uh, this is kind of like a psychological uh, study. And this puzzle, it said, okay, there are these three numbers, and it gave the numbers. It said two, four, and eight. It said these numbers are in a sequence, and they abide by a rule. And then you could plug in your own test, three other numbers, as many times as you want to, to try and discover what it is that those numbers, you know, what the underlying rule is. So obviously if you, if you plug in two, four, and eight again, it's going to say, yes, that abides by the rule. And then if you plug in something that uh, is against the underlying rule for that sequence, then it would say no. Exclamation point. No. So, actually, I'm just curious. What would what, any any uh, numbers you want to throw out as terms of that sequence? Three six twelve. Three six twelve. Okay. Yes. Three nine twenty seven. Yes. Four eight sixteen. Four eight sixteen. 
Yes. <laughs> One, two, three. One, two, three. Yes. <laughs> We're trying to discover the rule. How do we discover what the rule is? Three, two, one. Three, two, one. No. So what I saw and what they were... I'll come about. I'll, I'll get to what the game was. <laughs> so, anyone want to keep guessing? Which way do you want to go? Dharma or guessing the game? <laughs> this is great. In a Dharma seat, I can do what I want. <laughs> Four, seven, nine. Yes. Okay, so I'll just say that 80% of the uh, people that would play this, and I guess it was thousands, I mean, they, they were doing the study, 80% guessed the rule without ever getting a no. I think only 9% were willing to experience no to see what the rule was. This is the power of our tendency to not even want to experience. There was no penalty to, to, to hear no. There was only the word no, with, and it was in red, and an exclamation point. And the, the tendency of the mind, and this in terms of the way I was seeing this, this was more, they were looking at it in terms of confirmation bias of just confirming but in order to discover the rule one would have to guess a lot of negatives 3, 2, 1 1, 8, 5 a million, 0 negative 2 like, and, and so then I started doing this I wanted, I, and, I was, and I was watching the first, my first Three guesses were yes, yes, yes. And I realized, huh. And I didn't read the, you know, you're not, you don't read the article until after you kind of submit your thing. And, I, and then I started guessing some no's. And I was watching my mind because I'm here and we're being mindful. And I could feel that first no, and I was like, oh, look at that. But I thought, but I learned something. It's not that. So then I put in another number, and it said no, another sequence. And I, oh, it's not that. And the simple rule was increasing numbers, increasing numbers. Now, how do we get to understand that was partly just by being with the way experiences are. I don't know, it just kind of, for me, was like very dhamic. Like, how is it that we come to understand dukkha? How do we understand dukkha? And if it's always by achieving what's pleasant, we can see, and this is what the Buddha said, that beings everywhere are wanting happiness. And they are moving, trying to move in that direction. So what do we do? We keep trying to get what's pleasant and run away from the unpleasant. And that's the basic stream of human beings. You know, that's what every, well, beings in general, they will move away from the unpleasant, assuming that will bring freedom of mind or the idea of happiness and then moving towards the pleasant and this is, in a way, you know, the Dharma is described at times against the stream. 
And what is against the stream? And what does it allow us to do when we, when we actually pause long enough to feel what we normally would bounce out of, skip over, assume is wrong, this is wrong, this experience is wrong, you know, which is an idea, every judgment of wrong, it's just a concept. In nature, you cannot find really wrong. You can find harmful, you know, unwholesome things that are suffering, but wrong, wrong experience. You know, things are the way they are. And you know, what happens? We just sit, we sit in the middle of our life and we finally allow, allow experiences to be here, be with what's arising. It's remarkable what we understand. We come to understand how the lawfulness of the Dhamma unfolds. We really see for ourselves when the mind is struggling there's going to be some, some consequence. When the mind brings in right view, there's going to be some consequence. Immediate. It's not some you know, far-off possibility. It's immediate. And I'm sure you know, many of you have had that where you were struggling with a certain emotion or being identified with something in, in one moment, and then just the slightest turn of the mind where we remember, oh, it's a mood. And now I'm experiencing it again rather than being in it. And being so identified that we don't even realize that it's the mood that's, and the resistance maybe to it, that's the suffering. And then again, as soon as we realize, oh, what is this? And the mind gets interested sees its flavor, maybe, realizes, oh, this is, this is arising, and now I'm aware of it. Just a little shift. And you can imagine a mind that every time a mood comes up, identifies with it, spins more thoughts about it, which reconditions the mind with more, more negative emotions, which are also then difficult to be with, how agitated the mind gets. And that's basically a description of our minds. And then what happens after just steadiness of awareness, now and again remembering what's being experienced, it's just this. It's arising because all the conditions are there for this to arise. It's not who I am. It arises and it'll go on its own. And we do that over and over again. We see maybe the thoughts that we tend to not see, but now we see them. So we're not as believing the negative voice in the mind. We just see it as a negative voice. Oh, hello, shaming voice. It's you again. I was talking with someone uh, I think it was just individual about uh, someone, you know, in one of the check-ins. And I was saying, you know, increasingly after these um, sharings, because, you know, it's quite vulnerable to be sharing and 
don't know where I heard, heard this, but you know, in nature, when you have a whole lot of other uh, animals looking at you, there's very few things that could uh, go well. <laughs> sort of in, in nature, like if there's a lot of eyeballs that are, that are landing on you, the sort of nervous system is primed for, you know, it's like, where's the nearest exit? <laughs> Um, anyway, so it's obviously vulnerable. And, um, you know, afterwards, increasingly, it's like the same, the little voice that wants to come in and that, you know, for the tendency to just say something like, that was awful. And, God, you're no good. Uh, and now it's like, I just came and sometimes really put the energy in to give it the full time of day. Like, it's like, Look, wow, I, I see that you're there, but I just can't believe you this time. And it's amazing that the mind is increasingly just seeing these as thoughts and that they had so much power. And it's just a thought. It's unseen thoughts. They create our whole story. Our whole story from... The stories, you know, this, our whole life, our whole identity can come from something. Either we're telling ourselves something that we feel like, you know, we've picked up from the world, a sense of worth, you know, culturally, our identity. You know, I love that perspective that the Dalai Lama offered to that group of self-judging Westerners was that view is wrong. You know, the human being, the human mind has the potential for the greatest good, the highest happiness, fullest enlightenment. And it's just step by step walking in that direction. That's all. And that it is wrong view to say, I am no good. It's just an idea that we have taken on. You know, so if you don't have that confidence, I really want you to feel it. Feel it for me. I, I, complete confidence, 100% certainty. And maybe I'll have to do that kind of double checking on all the negatives to check the rule. But I'm pretty confident here. We all have the possibility for this path. I share the story sometimes of just to show how far I feel it's like my mind has come. At some point, and I was in, I can't remember if I've shared this, I was in and out of medical school struggling with uh, that whole process of Am I going to become a doctor or not? And um, you know, I had I had developed a lot of identity around that whole becoming for myself. So to potentially move away from that was as frightening, you know, as I could possibly imagine. Frightening step, and I didn't have the dharma. I didn't know what I'd be launching into, and yet something was compelling me to to really look and, and question what I was doing and what I wanted. And from, from my own journey, that was a really relevant thing at that time. And I was, I was just being, I don't know, everything, every little experience felt like it was pressuring me to do one thing or another. And 
Uh, for any of you who have listened to one of my talks, I've, sh- I've shared this before. Um, I feel like Bonnie. <laughs> so, um, so at one point I was, this is kind of like the height of the, the, the insanity that I was living in. So I was on the street corner. I was in New York City at that time. And I was on the street, you know, on the corner, and the, there was a, a walk signal. It's telling you whether or not to walk or don't walk. And it was blinking, uh, don't walk. And, and I, was on, I was on the opposite corner looking at it, and I was, I, was ex- I was feeling explosive. I was thinking, this is the last thing that will ever tell me again what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> I've had it. I've had it with, you know, being told what to do and who I am and what I'm gonna, where I'm going to go. And, and this, is, this was obviously impersonal. It, I'm sure it was not constructed by, you know, the city of New York at that moment for Alexis. Let's, let's you know, what was that movie? The whole, the whole world was designed around the... He's like in a boat. It was Jim Carrey's uh, Truman Show. Yeah, I guess I felt like this whole world is, you know, directing me. Um, and it, I, there was a little spark of wisdom in my mind at that time. I thought, oh, I need help. <laughs> <laughs> that was my insight. And, you know, so on I went, you know, looking. And that's... that's eventually ended up, you know, coming in contact with the Dharma in India and kind of slowly practicing. (laughs) It's great looking back, you know, 15 steps, 15 years. And I think it's one of the things that happens in practice is we do get more, more and more understanding of what we do know, but also how much there is to understand, how subtle the nature of the mind is, the tendencies of mind, the little becomings that are constantly happening, the, the, you know, the way we form in any given moment, trying to form the reality that we want around us. And just watching it. So what we do. And increasingly, it's, it's something really pleasurable to partake in. Life becomes enjoyable because the Dharma allows us to be with it just as it is. It's not wrong anymore. It's just habits. It's things to open to. Where's my edge? What else can awareness receive right now? You know, what, what's my, whatever, what's the next unfolding? It's funny, the 40-minute mark hits, and I feel my mind starts to say, hmm, out of tank, out of gas. <laughs> tank is empty. <laughs> Let's see, I'll just fill up.
is, you know, it's a great relief to not have to get that yes back, like the yes of this is good, yes, this is pleasant, but just this is what's real. And this is, this is what's happening. Or maybe the yes comes from inside the heart, you know, yes, this is what's happening. And we open to that and we discover and discover the Dhamma just the way it is, ordinary moments. We learn something about the mind, how we're feeling. We strengthen the wholesome qualities of mind. And we strengthen another moment of awareness. We remember right view for a moment. The stability of mind grows because we're not in a state of conflict with what's arising. So that's also another way of describing concentration, not being in conflict with what's arising. The stability of mind. And confidence in the path gets stronger. The sense of confidence that uh, I can open to this moment, can be with it. I don't need to figure everything out right now, just something simple, recognizing what's happening. appreciate your practicing. It's a gift to me. I'm a fellow human being that's alive with you at this time. It's a gift to yourself. It's a gift to everyone that will come into contact with you. It's a gift to all the beings that will, in some way or another, reap the benefits from the skills that are cultivated in the mind and heart, the greater compassion, the ability to be with life, be with suffering, understand it. Thank you for your practice and thank you for your kind attention this evening. Now you say sadhu. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed
donate.